0: Good morning. morning. Well, if uh, you've been with us over the summer, we've been exploring the parables of Jesus. And uh, these very down-to-earth stories have, uh, of course, brought into a clear focus things related to the kingdom of God, such as uh, belief and faith. We see things related to uh, eternal life and even the end of the age. And we're going to get to another parable very shortly now do we have any news watchers here have you been following the news there are a lot of things uh, usually the summer is something of a slow uh, cycle but uh, I wouldn't say that's the case this summer there's quite a few things happening in Israel and elsewhere but um, but on the US uh, Mexican border there have been uh, according to some reports up to about a quarter of a million uh, people flooding across the uh, Uh, US Mexican border and uh, something like 90,000 undocumented uh, children as well and the surge in population has really strained federal state and local uh, resources and it's really become something of a problem and in addition to all of that uh, there's bitter political fighting once again all the talking head shows there's quite a bit uh... out there on, on the various channels well whatever your opinion might be on this uh... this subject and i'm sure there are some uh, very formed opinions on it uh... it has brought into clear focus uh... this question or maybe a couple of questions what makes a person eligible for u.s. citizenship Right. Or conversely, uh, what makes a person ineligible for citizenship? Uh, again, it's a complex issue. There are politics involved, there are legal statutes involved, there's morality involved, just moral questions, not to mention deep emotions. This isn't going to be addressed anytime soon, if it's going to be addressed neatly at all. Uh, but the border crisis concerning these citizenship issues uh, is a bit timely with our text today. Today we're going to explore the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and answer the question, who are the citizens of the kingdom of God? Let me open us again in a word of prayer, and, uh, and then we'll look at, we'll look at uh, our text. Father, again, we praise and thank you for this time, dear Lord. We thank you for all that are here. Uh, Lord, I ask your blessings on them. I ask your blessings on our time as we uh, just peer into your word and see what encouragement, what learning, uh, what uh, uh, faith-inspiring thoughts might come from it. Again, we thank you for this time, dear Lord, and we praise you for the, your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, uh, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll read our text and then fill in a little bit of background. Now, uh, I'm reading from one of the Pew Bibles this morning, conveniently, so uh, if you're following that, it's on page 877. Page 877, and we're looking at Luke 18. So, why don't you turn to that? And we're looking at Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. So, as you're turning to that, again, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Jesus is telling a parable. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we're going to look at the characters and in particular what they said momentarily, but the parable itself is part of a larger discussion. The larger discussion is with the Pharisees or the disciples or both. It's a, a little bit unclear because there's, uh, the text is going back and forth a bit. But let me highlight a few points from chapter 17, the immediate previous chapter in Luke, uh, that'll set the context for our passage now here in chapter 17 it reports that the disciples are asking Jesus about the timing of the kingdom of God the final events at the end of the age he emphasizes three major ideas about the kingdom firstly when the kingdom comes there will be many untrue claims around it secondly there will be undeniable signs it'll be very clear that the end has come and thirdly it'll be the most important thing uh, in their lives that future generation now again we're sort of sketching these things we'd like to learn a lot more but but let me just take each one of those very quickly first the untrue claims if you go to uh, chapter 17 verse 23 I'll just read that for you if you'd like to read along and they will say look there, or look here. But Jesus says, do not go out or follow them. So when the Son of Man returns, there is a report that uh, people will at that time be saying, go over here, he's there. Go over there, he's there. Whatever that, that sign happens to be. Now you might remember a couple of years ago, Uh, that there were signs all over the place that the son of man was coming and uh, they were on billboards and radio ads and and so on and so forth i kind of got the feeling that that this was going on that he's going to return as i recall it was like on may 23rd or may 22nd and so when the day came and went it turned out he didn't come But these calls these claims of signs at least according to the text will not be correct why is that well secondly Jesus speaks of undeniable signs about his coming there will be things that will be clear for all to see the very next verse 24 1724 in Luke reports for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other so will the son of man be in his day the signs therefore will be undeniable now he's likening it to lightning I don't think he's literally saying lightning but there will be some very visible public things that will be seen at least according uh, to the verse the other item uh, related to uh, lightning is suddenness now the other day my, my there was raining, uh, just before it was raining, my daughter and I were looking outside and we saw the flashes in the sky and um, so my, da- my daughter was was a little frightened and uh, and I said uh, you know as all truthful parents often report to their kids, don't worry that's just the angels bowling and uh it it's really nothing to be too uh, too taken with so but anyway the suddenness of lightning flashes uh, they could kind of catch you a bit off-guard well suddenness is is sort of the theme here as well but it's also likened uh, to the time of Noah Uh, and even Sodom and Gomorrah how so well, in verses 26, 27, it goes on to report, but first, uh, the, well, it goes on in, in 25, but first uh, he must suffer, the son of man, many things, and then be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the son of man. Uh, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Well, common things are going on. But then in, great, in a great unsuspected, if you like, a great suddenness, destruction falls on, uh, in this case, the unbelievers. But Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom of God comes with suddenness like the flood and destroyed the old world, and it will be this way in the future as well. But thirdly, he makes it clear that the event of his coming is urgent. It's the most important event uh, in that future generation's time. He uses the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah for one last point and then we'll get to our our parable about the uh... the urgency of this event the importance of this event now in seventeen twenty eight twenty nine jesus recalls the destruction of sodom and gomorrah again a couple more verses as background information to look at they were eating and drinking They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Uh, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man returns. So he's going a little bit back and forth between the uh, Noah's story and Sodom and Gomorrah. But you will recall the story of Lot, uh, where Lot and his family are urged by the angel to flee. Get out is what the angel says. He comes to Lot and he says, "Lot, you can't stay here. You have to leave." Take, take your family and get out uh, and don't be concerned about the city. That's now fallen under God's jurisdiction. He'll take care of that city. Well, again, as you'll recall, they fled. Uh, the family left. Well, as the family is leaving, uh, Lot's wife chooses to look back. This was uh, not correct. This was not a good thing that she did because she was destroyed as the text reports uh, also. So the end of the age will be similar. In verse uh, 31, uh, as I said, on that day, let the one who is in the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. What is important and urgent at the end of the age? Is it the things of the world? Do do you get that sense from the text? The answer is it's not the things of the world it's the eternal things that's where we need to be focused Uh, I'd argue that's where we need to be focused now but at the end of the age there will be visible signs there will be people calling out here he is there he is the son of man but God wants you to be eternally minded uh, and so those are the sort of the the three points that are available to us as we enter into this parable uh, so jesus then here, at least, is answering the Pharisees, and he 's forecasting far off events in the future kingdom of God now again we 'd like uh, more detail. I think in some ways, for example, uh, certain uh, very popular movies that have been out there for I guess ten, twenty thirty, maybe going back thirty forty years, uh, Thief in the night, uh, Left Behind series, and so forth they detail uh... everything that's supposed to, to happen at the end of the age and all of it is really rather hotly disputed, I, I, I have to say that but um... And, and people come up with alternative interpretations but here we don't get all of, all of the detail we'd like it's, it's a bit ambiguous um, however while we might not know exactly what's going to happen uh when the kingdom comes. On the other hand, we do know uh, the type of citizen that God wants to occupy the kingdom of God. That's very clear. And we're going to take that up now. He uses parables to discuss these occupants uh, of the kingdom. So here we then turn to the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now who are uh... the citizens uh... of the kingdom so jesus then is addressing the pharisees and the disciples for this parable he has a lesson for the often proud pharisees now uh... i looked around on the internet and i was uh... happy to find a picture uh... like this it's uh... it's very good and uh... it's sort of in a you know the. A picture is worth a thousand words, they say, right? And uh, we see the proud Pharisee, and we see the the humble tax collector, sort of in the background. And it helps to to give us a picture of what Jesus was trying to communicate with this. So again, we're in Luke 18, and I'll I'll go by uh, the verses uh, one at a time. We'll first begin with uh, verses nine and ten. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, who is this Pharisee and who is the tax collector and what do we make of these responses? Well, the Pharisees perhaps you know. Uh they come up in numerous different uh they come up in numerous different uh stories. And um, we're going to just review them very quickly here. But they're a group of religious authorities. Uh the word Pharisee in Hebrew literally means set apart. They were actually mosaic lawyers and they believed in ritual law concerning things like food. Uh, what is pure what is impure uh, they had laws related to marriage what do you do with lepers how do you walk in a, um, a cemetery I mean there were all kinds of different laws that they had uh, now it's often often uh, taught that the Pharisees uh, were despised and unliked Th- that may be partly true but partly not true uh... the pharisees helped people to live out their religious life i'm not saying it was easy uh... and i'm not saying that the pharisees were were wonderful uh... instructors but what i am saying is that the people looked up to them uh... as uh, as teachers to help them through uh... this jewish life but for the pharisee success as a jew was Uh, measured by how they succeeded in their success with the law if you successfully did all the things of the law you were a successful jew if you didn't do everything legally prescribed by the law you were not a successful jew it was really that simple so the pharisees were all about both the law and one's ability to keep it now what in this uh, prayer did the pharisee say let's go to verse eleven Uh, for that what did the Pharisee say Uh, verse 11 Uh, the Pharisee standing by himself standing by himself prayed this way God I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners the unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector over here now, I don't know if the picture, the picture went down, but it, it showed the, uh, the Pharisee saying his words to God, uh, but uh, I would have preferred if he had one hand up and the other one pointed back at the, at the tax collector, because the sense that you get is uh, the tax collector is an earshot, and he's probably uh, hearing what the Pharisee is saying. Uh, but we should first point out here uh, that the Pharisee stood up. This was customary, if not a legal requirement of the law. They would stand while they were praying. Uh, The content of the prayer is interesting. It begins with God, as you might have noticed, but then it becomes godless from there, doesn't it? Uh, He begins to accuse others around him. So the Pharisee is grateful that he's not like other men, and he tosses them into one bucket. Into this bucket, he throws the robbers, the evildoers, and the adulterers. All of these are rejected one way or another by the Mosaic law. These are the Mosaic uh, lawbreakers. Well, then he condemns the tax collector. Uh, again, likely the tax collector heard all of this stuff. I'm certainly glad I'm not like them, meaning, I'm certainly glad I'm not like him. Uh, now, how is the Pharisee not like them? Well, he tells us. He reports that he fasts twice a week, which is more than required by the law. And he tithes a tenth of all of his belongings. This Pharisee isn't trying to tell God if he's talking to God at all. He's not trying to tell God that uh, you know he loves him and he's offering these things to him nor is he trying to tell him he's just sort of an average Jew he's more of a a turbocharged Jew, is what he is he's he's the special deluxe model he's doing everything and then some and God ought to know about it and so he reports it now of course the problem is that the whole thing is a farce and it and Jesus makes it clear if if it could be missed when Jesus says he prayed about himself. So he's trying to say that this is a, a self-directed prayer. It's like he's telling himself a little bit of a story. You know, uh, sometimes you hear about prayers that uh, they go up to the ceiling, but they go no further. Well, the, the sense that you get here is this is one of those, those prayers that, that may well have... Um, satisfied him but you likely didn't satisfy God this wasn't about a pursuit of righteousness this was a pursuit of self-righteousness that that's really what what's in involved here he's telling himself a story or a narrative He's saying this to himself, I've satisfied the legal standards of the law through my works and therefore earned right standing before God, uh, approval by God, and to be justified by God. Now let me ask you this, do you see a kind of currency of deeds here, right? He's doing something and he swaps it with God for God's approval, That's really what we're looking at here. God will grant the approval, but he's paying for it through his deeds. That's sort of what Jesus has in mind in in telling us something about what the Pharisee is saying. So an acceptable citizen in the kingdom of God, according to the Pharisee, is the Mosaic uh, law abider. It's the person who is following all the prescripts of the law. But the parable positions a second praying individual, uh, the tax collector. Now, the parable doesn't tell us much about the tax collector, uh, but we do know from history some, quite a few things about him. You'll love this. Uh, the tax collectors were, of course, very unpopular. But of, of all of the reasons why they were unpopular, here's one I really didn't know this. But a Jewish tax gatherer, Could literally walk up to you have you unfold your pack and tax you right on the spot for what's in it what do you think of that fair Uh, hardly right but that's exactly the kind of thing that they they were uh, empowered to do that's not all remember that they worked for Rome now the Romans weren't exactly popular either they had been in town for many decades and they were not only pagans and and polytheistic but they they governed rather harshly it is true that they you could uh, have Roman citizenship and that entitled you to various things but uh, but the Romans were were pretty tough themselves and so uh, anyone who worked for the Romans they were considered traitors or renegades uh, also regarding this taxation so you open up your bag they tax you on the spot it's quite possible you did have something that needed to be taxed but the other thing that would happen is uh, the the, uh, the tax gatherer had the right to uh, also haggle a bit over the whole uh, matter. So maybe there were two things to be taxed and it came out to 20 denarii. Well, they would say, hey, look, I'm gonna cut you a deal. I'm going to tax you 10, give me an extra two and we'll let it go at that. The two he'd pocket, the 10 goes to Rome, Rome's happy. You see this whole thing then would, in the mind of the person who's being taxed, leave a very definite impression that these guys were corrupt so it was widely known that, uh, that they were doing these kinds of things and beyond all of that tax gatherers were thought to be disloyal to God so uh, they didn't have a good reputation following them around and you could see why the Pharisee might be saying these kinds of things about the tax gatherer and others would, would have a, a very harsh view of them as well now back to the response of the tax collector uh, what does he say verse 13 and we only have a couple more verses but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes but he beat his breast, saying God be merciful to me a sinner now is he playing his extortion game with God you know the, the answer is he's not uh But how do we know this? Look at his demeanor. His demeanor is humble. It's like this. He's not even looking up. Again, the the photograph, the the picture kind of shows that uh, he's looking down. And and so, therefore, it's conveying something there alone. He's humble. He's sorrowful. Then he beats his breast. Now, that's not something we do today. That's an expression that's very old, but it, it shows remorse. I'm sorry. Is, is sort of the, the the thought. But then thirdly, if you missed his his various actions, then listen to his words. God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. This man is crushed and doesn't see himself better than anyone else. His words and his actions bring attention to his shortcomings, not to his spiritual successes. As perhaps with the the Pharisee. He's concerned with his failures, and he throws himself on the mercy of God. And he does this because he has a sense that he's truly offended God. See, the, in a way, we've reached the heart of, of the whole parable. This is about, this, this is personal. You know, When we sin, when someone's coming to faith and making some decision, as they hear all this stuff about Jesus, uh, there's a real question here. How do you really feel about that notion that you may have insulted or failed God? That you've, you've violated some sin? now sometimes what we do is that we walk through these these uh, invitations and by the way I'm gonna give us one uh, give you one at the end of our our time but when an invitation is made to come to faith we walk through this stuff and we say oh well I've sinned and God I'm sorry and this and that but I'd like to suggest to you that what the text is trying to say is when you come to faith there's gotta be a real sense of being brokenhearted. Not with all the little details. There are many details as it as it relates to uh, uh, you know, oh well, I did this, I did that, whatever. But it's it's personal. You've personally offended a person. <laughs> Who is the person you've personally offended? It's God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, he's broken-hearted. So This is the sense that you get here. He wants to restore the relationship. He wants it to go from broken to being wonderful, to being in love again. Will God view this lowly sinner with compassion? Will he allow him to be a citizen in the kingdom? Well, we'll see. In verse 14, how, how our last verse, let's look at that. Jesus comments on this business with have mercy on me. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's how Jesus responds to it. The repentant sinner was not refused, was he? The tax collector's plea for mercy was acceptable. God wants the relationship restored as urgently as he does. This man was in fact now right before God. He was, he was exalted. His sins were forgiven and he had the right papers to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, at least the beginning of it. The Pharisee who tried to justify or make himself right uh, through works, that is, he exalted himself, was destined not to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. So let's wrap up here. What does this have to do with us and even the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God? Well, firstly, the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus couldn't be more clear about that. The details are a little sketchy, but it's going to happen, and it'll be the most important event in human history. Secondly, the parables at large tell us something about the type of citizens that will occupy the kingdom of God. If you like, the ones that want a genuine relationship with God. That's what they're, they're communicating. As we saw, the citizens of the kingdom of God have certain characteristics. We've been looking at that all summer. But here, this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector teaches us that citizenship in the kingdom of God is not earned, right? Uh, It's not earned at all. It's an act of mercy. That's how it begins. Mercy is forgiveness for what you've done. That's that's a, a definition for mercy but the Bible also teaches us it is an act of grace so we have to go to a few other texts but it's an act of grace that's favor credited to you for what someone else has done that's what grace is Uh, now how has God shown us grace well God has shown us grace through the author of this parable Jesus in fact he has done the work required by God on our behalf For citizenship listen to what he said in John chapter 6 and if you'd like to go there you may or just listen but it's John chapter 6 verses 27 to 29 and it's on page 8 891 John chapter 6 verses 27 to 29 just a a few a few verses but but very good Uh, do not work for the food that perishes But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to do the work of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, what is the nature of this, of this belief, this work? Well, number one, it's to trust Jesus with your life. Now, there are a lot of things we may think we trust with our, our life. You know, I get on an airplane, and I'm thinking, well, I hope I see land again the right way. But uh, you get what I'm saying? We trust the pilot. He's going to get us there safely and so forth. This is eternal life. Trust Jesus certainly with your life now, but your life everlasting. Number two, trust that Jesus has made a way through his work on the cross for you to be a kingdom citizen. Uh, Trust that his death has paid for your sins past, present, and future. That's very good news. Through this trust, your papers in the kingdom of God have been signed and sealed they are irrevocable and you don't have to worry about being turned away at the borders of the kingdom of God now friend if you have uh, if you're here this morning and you have not trusted Jesus with your life do it now I'll give you an opportunity to do that I'll at least pray with you uh I'll close us and invite you to accept God's kind offer. Is your heart ready for this relationship? Because I can tell you this, God's heart is ready for this relationship. Now I'll ask you to do one other thing. Afterwards, uh, please uh, seek out Pastor Dan or myself. Come and let us know about your decision. I'd love to hear about it, and I know he'd love to hear about it too. So let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, we praise and thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for this parable that helps us to see anew, Lord, that mercy is what you give us, uh, Father, and grace is what you give us. If only we'd come to that place where we know that we've personally harmed you, Lord. Uh, that in that, that broken relationship, uh, that we need to understand, Father, as you'd have us understand, uh, that you love us, but in any relationship where there's uh, some brokenness, there needs to be healing. And you're willing to forgive us, but we're, we must be willing to ask you for that forgiveness. And Father, as we ask you for that forgiveness, so much more comes with it that our sins, whatever they may have been, the things that might have offended you, have also been paid for. And they've been paid for by your grace, that undeserved favor uh, of your son's work at the cross. Through him, Lord, we are saved. And we thank you for that. So even now, as your spirit is stirring in hearts that are here this morning, Father, I ask that that stirring might lead to that sense of repentance, remorsefulness that you've been offended but also Lord a sense of hope uh, that the relationship might be restored, that the individuals who are hearing this where your spirit is working within them they might say Lord I want a fresh beginning, a new beginning and I want you in my life and as that that new beginning happens in their hearts, even now, even upon hearing this, uh, Lord, that, uh, that there might be a sense of uh, to share it with someone else, uh, Father. So again, we praise you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everyone uh, that is here, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.